All right. Our kids can head off to Redemption Kids uh, with our awesome team of workers upstairs. And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 17 this morning. And I really appreciate Dan's leadership. Uh, We're a diverse church, and uh, we want to reflect that uh, in every way, in our leadership, uh, in the songs we sing. And uh, so love that. Anybody enjoy that? Learn some Spanish this morning? And uh, hey, listen, church, thank you for singing out, you know, because when you sing out, this is what happens. Everyone else around you is more confident to sing out, you know, just really tell God, unstoppable God, let you go. And like, no one can hear how bad I sing, you know, it's just beautiful. So keep, uh, my wife is embarrassed, but God's unstoppable. So we're going to just sing it out. Uh, Well, we're going to continue our series this morning in Boston as in heaven. This is our prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so to put a very practical, concrete prayer on that, God, you brought us to Boston, and we want to see your will be done, your kingdom come right here in Boston as it is in heaven. And I believe that we live in one of the greatest cities on the planet. You don't have to look far to see how Boston is growing and expanding uh, before our eyes. If you go downtown, you can see uh, the new skyscraper uh, in the the, the area of downtown crossing. And uh, then by the garden, all these high-rise condos are going up. Uh, There's a new uh, scraper going up right by the Prue that's going to be almost as tall as the Hancock Tower. Uh, So you can just see the development of our city. More and more people from all over the world are flocking to Boston. And then you have development in Medford as well. Just right across from Wegmans on Locust Street, there's a new complex that's going to house 490 units. I mean, just the city is growing at a rapid pace. And if you look at what researchers say, uh, the, the Global Cities Institute projects that Boston will boast over 6 million people by the year 2020. All right, 6 million people. I'm sorry, by the year 2050, 2050, all right, 6 million by 2050. But the the larger question is not how many people will live in Boston by the year 2050, but the greater question is how many of those 6 million will have a life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is our greater concern. You see, we started Redemption Hill seven years ago because we knew Boston was the city where churches become condos faster than you can say, wicked fast. Boston, now you, now you got that. All right, <laughs> wicked fast. I need to be more local. You know, I'm going to put an accent on it. Then you would have understood. Anyway, um, wicked fast, right? Boston is a city where, listen, only roughly 3%. of the population of greater Boston attends a church like Redemption Hill where Jesus is front and center every week and where people are finding out that they can have a relationship with him only by the grace of God pulling them in by faith to trust in Jesus for their salvation. And what we said in the beginning and what we're still saying today is that is not okay. 
It's not okay. Think about it. If we see the needle, and this is our prayer, right? If we see the needle, think about it. It's like zero, 100%, all right? Just if you want to do it like that, all right? 0%, 100%. 3%, move the needle to 10%. Do you know what kind of rapid expansion and growth the church must experience over the next 32 years? That would be 6,000 churches around greater Boston, and if we're very generous to assume that the average size church would be 150 people, which we know New England churches, most do not get even that size, all right, that would mean we need 4,000 churches scattered around greater Boston. And so what does this mean for us? Not only does the church, in all, like all, I'm speaking of all the churches around greater Boston, have a lot of work to do, okay? But for us, what we're saying to God, what we're praying to God, and I hope you'll just begin praying this if you're not already praying this, like, God, let us be a part of seeing the needle move up. We want to be a part of your work. We don't want to get caught on the sidelines watching everyone else have the joy of advancing the mission and telling people about Jesus. God, use us and use us right now. What we want to do is see this. We want to see the presence and power of Jesus. So permeate our city that we begin to hear the same accusation that the early church heard in Acts 17 where people shouted out, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also proclaiming another king, Jesus. In other words, we, we want this city because Jesus is now being, we just prayed it, right, through song, be glorified. What does it mean for God to be glorified? It means God is higher than, than everyone else, everything else. Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, medical research, politics, you fill in the blank. Jesus is better. Jesus is higher. You, you may not want to pray this, but I'll just, just take you in the side of my kind of prayer life, my dream. I, I'm just praying God higher than the Hancock. Higher than the Hancock. You may say, that's cheesy, whatever. I'm just saying it motivates me. It motivates me. Jesus, we want you to be seen higher above everything so that people will find out how great you are, how amazing you are, how life-giving you are, how you were the restorer, how you satisfy, how you mend broken marriages, God, how you give us what a, a drug or, 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 or a sexual experience could never give us, lasting, ultimate satisfaction. God, be glorified in our city. And so just two and a half years ago, it's interesting, July 1st, 2018, uh, in January of 2016, we gave a, a five-year vision. We called our 2020 vision, and what we called that vision was, and guess what? upside-down city vision. It was just this, this desire. I even gave these same exact numbers, right? We want to see the needle move to 10%. We want, so, so what does that mean? It means that Redemption Hill needs to become a thriving, multiplying church 
to help turn Boston upside down for Jesus. So, so, so hear me clearly, okay? We are not the answer, all right? The, the 200 people in this room, the, the whatever 400 people that are a part of our church, uh, kind of in and out, all right? We, we are not the answer for Boston, but we want to be part of the answer for Boston. You, you follow me? This is the invitation. This is the invitation for all of us. And in Acts 17, I believe we see an insight as to how, as to how we can see this vision realized, all right? And that is simply this. I hope you're ready. It's this. God turns cities upside down when his word does the work, all right? God turns cities upside down when his word does the work. I want to give you three truths from Acts 17 this morning. Let's read the first 10 verses together. Luke writes this. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking Some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason is receiving them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they had arrived, They went into the Jewish synagogue. Let's pray one more time. Father, we need you. God, we need you by your spirit to open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts to this truth. And God, we need you. We need you to to shake our hearts in such a way that you pull us into this truth, that you that you uh, don't allow, like, this is what we do on Sunday. This is, like, another sermon from Tanner. Oh, yeah, we've kind of heard this vision, like, big stuff. Like, let's change the world. Let's change Boston. No, God, we need you now. We need you, like, not the words of a man. God, you speaking through your word. God, I want to see a church full. Our pastors want to see a church full of people that with us 
have this vision keeping them up at night and waking them up in the morning. God, you've placed us here. Thank you for placing us here for your purposes. Help us to be your representatives, your witnesses in this great city to see it turned upside down. For the glory of Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, three thoughts, three truths for your consideration this morning as to how we can see God use us, use us, use you. See the city of Boston turned upside down for the glory of Jesus. Number one, listen to this. These are, these are so simple. You'll, you'll like write them down in like five seconds, all right? The city needs God's word. The city needs God's word. In verse 1, what does it say? Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. What was going on is, if you remember last week, Paul and Silas, they were under persecution. They were, another riot had started there. They were beaten by the uh, city authorities. They were in prison. God set them free, and the city officials said, you go on your way. And so on their way, they did. They went down the Via Ignatia, okay, this 600-mile road, Roman road, that, that took them from Philippi to Thessalonica, 100 miles away. And the beauty of, of, of God and his plans, okay, some people say when the fullness of time had come, not only speaking of, of God's plan to send Jesus, but as Jesus was coming into the world at this time when the Roman Empire was expanding, the Romans were building roads all over their kingdom, which meant there was mobility like the world had never seen, which meant there was opportunity for the gospel to trust travel faster than they would have ever anticipated. And now you and I, 2,000 years later, we live in a, in a globalized world. We have the ability because of air travel and even because of technology, but like planes and Facebook are our Romans road, right? And so many other things. And so really, like we, listen, if I can just be so blunt, like we are without excuse. Jesus says, take the gospel to the nations. And what are we like, God, I can't get there. No, we can't say that. There was opportunity for them to travel. And so Thessalonica was a strategic city, much like Boston. It had a massive population. Uh, historians uh, guess in between uh, twenty to 100,000 people, which would have been massive for that time. It was also a harbor city like Boston. And so people could access the city from the sea and the land, making it a center of commerce. And then, in addition to that, it was a capital city. It was the capital for the entire region of Macedonia. But not only was there a strategic impulse, there was also a God-inspired impulse of the Spirit. You remember last week in Acts 16, Paul has a vision from God, and it is a, a vision of a man from Macedonia, where Philippi and Thessalonica are located. And this man is saying, come over and help us. And Paul knew that, knew that the help they needed was to hear the word of God. And so I just want to read some of Paul's words in another place. And I pray that these words get tattooed on our hearts today. Like, I'm serious, like tattooed, like burned on our hearts, that we would really allow these words to hit our heart in such a way, not just our head for information, but our heart for transformation to make us move on the, the truths that are presented right here. And so Romans 10 says this, the promise is verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Like any person, every one of your neighbors, every one of your coworkers, this promise is for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul goes on and he speaks to our responsibility and mission. Look at what he says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So so I think that the logic is pretty clear, but let's just look back at it. I don't want us to miss it, okay? People cannot be saved by Jesus if they don't call on Jesus. Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Save me out of the spiritual mess that I'm in. Save me out of my spiritual death. They, They can't be saved if they don't call on him, but people can't call on Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus. But they can't believe in Jesus if they don't hear about Jesus. And they can't hear about Jesus unless we tell them about Jesus. And don't even get it twisted like, oh, but you're talking about sent. I've never been sent. When God saved you, he sent you. Like Jesus at the end of John, John chapter 20, he said, as the Father sent me, speaking to all of his disciples, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you, you're sent. Enjoy the ride. It's time to get the mission done. Listen, if you're like me, we, we just, we kind of drift into this like, God, like is, could there be another way? Like, could you just kind of give me some tricks? You know, could you give us some shortcuts, maybe some cheat codes, like to, to get the gospel and to see people's lives change? And God is saying, look, you are the code. You are the path. You are the plan. Your plan A, B, C, and Z. How would they hear unless we go to them and bring them God's word? The city, the city of Boston needs God's word. Number two, the word does the work. The word does the work. Uh, Paul immediately, uh, he's gotten settled in, and it says that he went to the synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so, so we can see here that Paul has an intentional game plan. And he went to the synagogue of the Jews because the Jews were worshipers of God, and they were anticipating the Messiah. And so Paul shows up, and he says, guess what? Hey, the Messiah is here. And, and I want to encourage you, okay? Like, you may be like, Romans 10, it's logical, I'm called to this, but look, This is hard. It's not easy. And so, listen, I want to encourage you, you need a plan. You need a plan. You plan for the most important things in your life, right? Why wouldn't we plan for this? Like, on the one hand, because we are being filled with Jesus, then it's like wherever we go, we just overflow and we are ready to talk about Jesus. So that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, we need an intentional plan that's helping us discern and decide on where we go, how we hang out, and who we hang out with. 
I don't know what your plan will look like, but we need a plan to be about the business of getting the gospel to more and more people. And Paul's plan here is to get the word in front of people. Look at what it says here in in verse 2. It says, Paul went in, as was his custom, on three days he reasoned, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. We have three terms that help us see how Paul presented the news of Jesus. That's the gospel, the news of Jesus to the people in Thessalonica. Number one, he reasoned with them. This word means to enter into, how simple is this, a conversation. It means to enter into a dialogue where there's questions and answers, give and take, doubts expressed, hope given. This is what I love about our explore group. We've been having explore groups on Tuesday nights, and what happens is we read a section of the Bible, and we give everyone just some time to look back at it and to to read it, And, and then we say, hey, write down any questions you have. And, and, and put down any observations that stand out to you. And then we're just going to spend the next 30, 45 minutes talking about it. And then an hour later, from start to finish, we're done. And people are having the opportunity to reason and to dialogue about Jesus Christ. If you have a friend who you, like, you want to help them learn about, like, one of the best things that you could do for them and one of the best things you could do for you is to bring them to Explore Group so that we can reason together to see if these things are not true. And then it says that that, that Paul, as he reasoned with him, he explained. It means to open up. He explained. This is what it means. This is even what it means for me. This is what it could mean for you. He's explaining and he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And the word prove means to set beside. It's like Paul's taking the Old Testament scriptures and he's going to Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Psalm 16 and Genesis 22 and all these passages that are pointing us to the Messiah and he's putting them out there and he's saying, Jesus did that, Jesus did that, Jesus did that, Jesus did that. He's proving that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He not only was crucified, but he rose from the dead just as The Old Testament scriptures said he wouldn't just as he said he would. Here's just a little tip, all right? As you're talking to your friends about Jesus, people will have 100 different questions. They may even have 100 different objections. But but here's the tip. Always bring it back. Isn't this amazing? To Jesus. It's, it's, like it's, so, it's such a, it's so mind-blowing how sometimes in a conversation, I can forget to take, like I get so caught up on the problem of evil or pluralism, or don't all pass lead to God. And, like, and so all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, I forgot like, oh yeah, Jesus, bring it back, like bring it back to Jesus, bring it back to his life, bring it back to his death, bring it back to his resurrection. I love how people are doing this in our church. I received two text messages this week from different people that asked, like, hey, does Redemption Hill have Bibles available? Because I have a friend or I have a couple of coworkers who I want to bring a Bible to so that they can learn from God's word. I love it. 
I love that after uh, we heard the sermon at the end of May, Revive to See Revival, that um, there was one of our members who uh, texted me, and, and, and this is what she said, I feel like God is telling me to seize every opportunity I get to advance the gospel. That's what she said. And I'm just saying like, yeah, that was probably from God. I feel like God is telling me to seize every opportunity. And then you know what happened? That afternoon, she gets a call from a friend that she's been praying for 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 years. And she gets to tell her about Jesus. Wow. I love it. I love how this is happening more and more in our church. And why I love it is because People have to hear the message, right? Romans like, people have to hear the message. Listen to this. This is so like, just again, just logic, right? Like 100% of the people who do not hear, like, let me change that. 100% of your friends, your family, your neighbors, my friends, my family, my neighbors, 100% who do not hear will not be saved. We not only share the word, but we trust in the power of the word, all right? We trust in the power of the word. One, one of the hesitancies, I think, for most Christians is that the, they're, they're looking at this call to be about the, the business of, like, obeying Jesus, great commission, tell the world I'm alive, and, and it's like, you know, I just don't feel like I have the confidence to really, like, get, get it out there and go deeper. And I just hope this frees you up this morning. Okay, guess what? God does not want your confidence. God doesn't need your confidence. He's not looking for self-confident people. In fact, I think God is looking to overlook self-confident people. Because what God wants is people who are so depending on him that they're saying, hey, I don't have it in me, but my confidence is in you. And my confidence is right here in this book. I am not powerful, but God, you are powerful and your words are right here. Because, because the Bible is from God, this book has power. This is what changes people's lives. The Spirit opens people's eyes to see the truth of this book. And this this truth, the truth of Jesus, then sets them free. This is what happened in in Thessalonica. If you you go to read, and this would be a great thing to do this week, if you go read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the the letter that Paul wrote back to these Christians as he went on his way, this is what he says in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that God has chosen you... How? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So we just place the powerful word in front of people and we say, God, I am trusting you to do the work. Let the word do the work and watch God change people's lives. The city needs the word, the word does the work, and finally, word work is worth it. Word work is worth it, all right? In moments of opposition, 
and in moments of celebration. First, opposition. It says in verse 5, that the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And so what's happening here is Jewish people who rejected Jesus are seeing other Jewish people accept Jesus, and they're feeling threatened, right? They're jealous, and so they go to drag them before the city authorities. They can't find them, and so their next best option is to take the guy who's housing them and bring him before the city authorities. And when they do this, they bring two charges before them. Number one, they say these guys are disrupting civil peace. It's this phrase we keep talking about. It's our vision to turn the world upside down. The the word there, it it means um, to to subvert or overthrow. It has revolutionary overtones. Uh, So so just think about the implications of this accusation here, all right? The, the, The people are saying, hey, they're disturbing. Like wherever they go, things are being shaken up. And so on the one hand, there is a literal charge of disturbing, uh, you know, civil peace, okay? But, but their charge actually is loaded with so much more truth than they realize, right? Because as the gospel is going forth into all the world, people's lives are being changed. People's lives are being turned upside down. Their lives are so completely different. Jesus is a revolutionary, and when you put your faith in him, he will revolutionize your life. Maybe, maybe like you need that today. You're like, yes, I want my life to be different. I want to have joy and peace and love like I've never known. And I'm just saying like Jesus can bring you that. The disciples were upsetting the status quo wherever they went. Light was maddening darkness. Love was conquering death and hate. Homes, neighborhoods, workplaces were all being changed because of the power and presence of Jesus. And just like, hey, if, if, if we really see Boston turned upside down, it's not just because there are going to be 600,000 people say, I believe in Jesus, but it's going to be those 600,000 people believing in Jesus, causing their workplaces to be different. Neighborhoods, schools, government, different because of the presence and power of Jesus. So number one, it was disturbing uh, civil peace, but then the second charge was more serious. It was sedition against Caesar. You see, city officials had the responsibility to make sure that people uh, did not challenge Caesar's rightful place as emperor of the kingdom. And so while Paul was talking about Jesus being the king of the Jews, talking about Jesus being the king of our lives. And make no mistake, Jesus is the king. He is king over us. We, when we confess, listen, if you're a Christian, this is your confession, right? If you're not a Christian, this will be your confession. If you choose to follow Jesus, we say Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. And what that means is Jesus is king. He, he has the rightful place of complete authority over my life, and I give him my allegiance, and I give him my best. Attention, affection, you fill in the blank, it all belongs to him. 
but, but, but maybe they were hearing bits and pieces of Paul talking about Jesus being Lord over our lives. And they started saying, like, wow, these people are trying to, to set up an earthly kingdom. And what they didn't realize is that Jesus' kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not a political kingdom in the here and now. It will be in uh, the there and then, right? But, 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 but there was not a real threat to the, 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 the place of Caesar, and so I don't know if they were convinced of this or if they just chose to like, hey, just give us some money and you're good, but that's what happens. The officials allow Jason to give them a security deposit of money, and it seems for the promise of making sure that Paul and Silas didn't return to their house or Thessalonica, and you say, how do you know that? It's because that's what it says, uh, Paul says himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so in this idea of opposition, listen, I, I don't know what it looks like for you. Maybe for some of you, it's just condescending remarks. You just, you're just the recipient of, of condescending remarks. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's from friends or, you know, that you just love and hang with. Maybe you're ostracized in the workplace. Maybe you just receive comments like, you know what? You're so, you're so different now. Maybe your family is saying this to you. And what they mean, like, you're not as much fun. And why is that? Because you're not doing the things we're doing. Like, they don't understand how much fun you're having. But you... And so, listen, I don't know what it is for you, but this is what I know. This is what I know. The mark of a Christian is not bypassing suffering, but pushing through suffering. Like, we're not saying, like, God just not like, I want to suffer, but, but at the same time, when we're called to suffer, when we face some opposition, we're saying, God, help me push through it. Paul was a man who pushed through. Not only was he persecuted in Philippi, now under attack in Thessalonica, but if you go back to Acts 14 and you see what happened in Lystra, it says, and I quote, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And Paul's sufferings don't compare to the sufferings of Jesus. And so, like, I just want to say, like, for, for tough guys who, like, don't want to come to church and, like, sing songs or, like, say I follow anyone else because, like, I'm the man. And it's like, I would just humbly say they, they don't have a clue. They're like, you want to see tough? You want to see tenacious? Look at Paul. You want to see tough? You want to see, look at Jesus. There's a toughness here and a tenacity that you can't get in the weight room. God saved men in our lives who need to be introduced to real manhood. Word work is worth it in moments of opposition, but it's also worth it because of all the moments of celebration. What we see is the gospel going forth and the reach of the gospel, as we saw last week in Philippi with Lydia, the, the slave girl, and the jailer, is that it spans the spectrum of various demographics. This is what it says in verse 4. Some of them were persuaded. Who were persuaded? Who was persuaded? It was, it was the Jews, right? But not just the Jews. It says then many of the devout Greeks, but not just many of the Jews and devout Greeks, many also of the leading women. And so I had so much fun giving some shout-outs last week, I just thought I'd give a few more shout-outs this week. Can, can we pray for some more Haitians? Come on now, where are we at, Haitians? Come on, is it, is it that hot in here? 
Uh, is it that high? Hey, hey and so, some more Chinese people? Come on. And, and, and hey, yo, wait. When's our first Moroccan going to come into the house? Come on now. Here's another prayer. I love all of our college students, right? I love all, we love our college students at Redemption Hill. We've always had college students with us. We're praying for a breakthrough, guys, a breakthrough. Not just we talked about last week, addicts, union workers, white-collar wealthy people, right? Like the whole spectrum of people. We want to see God bring the next generation into our church in the form of middle school and high school students. Who's with us? Come on. This isn't happening if we don't pray. This isn't happening if we don't see texts like this and believe that the gospel is that powerful. Actually, Pastor John just had a, a, a strategic meeting with some people who are interested in helping out with student ministry in the future. So if you have that desire, contact Pastor John. We're starting something this fall. So just get ready. We're starting something this fall for students. The word reaches wide, and the, the word also reaches deep. And we have to zoom out to see God's work in Thessalonica because Luke doesn't have time just to tell the, the entire story of everything that was happening in Thessalonica. But Paul says in 1 Thessalonians verse 7 through 9, he says this to them. This is the power of the word at work. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, in other words, they got that disciples of Jesus take the word they received and give it to other people, even travel to get the job done, okay? But then it says, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Idols were falling down. Idols were being crushed. No longer was work the, the, the greatest pursuit. No longer were, 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 was even family and relationships, right? Jesus was being worshiped above everything else. So much so, listen, so much so that even two of these new believers as early as Acts chapter 20, we're talking weeks and months, they were already joining Paul in the missionary journey. This is what it says. It says that this Secundus and Aristarchus, uh, it's hard to say, yeah, Aristarchus, man, I'm not even going to try to say it again. Just look it up, right? Acts 20. All right, these guys, these guys are new believers, and they were already on mission with Paul. So don't be surprised, right? Like, don't be surprised when these new believers, we're seeing them baptized. They're actually saying, this is so important that I need to give my life to go and tell other people about Jesus. These stories are coming. These stories are coming. And I hope you're around long enough to see it happen. So, so how do we respond? How do we respond? Just, just, three, just three encouragements, three, three simple suggestions today, okay? Number one, pray this prayer. God, lead me to lead one person to you. Got it? Can you pray that prayer? God, lead me to lead one person to you. This is how the upside-down city vision is realized. 
I mean, it's, it's, again, it's like Tanner's not rocket scientist here today. It's just, it's just the obvious facts. If all of us lead one person, the church doubles within a year, right? You say, oh, people, uh, Tanner, people leave, we're transient city. Oh, yeah, people come without us telling them too. So I'm right. Thank you. Um, just making sure that we cover that, right? There's one person. On your way out today, or maybe already on your way in, I think, did you receive this little booklet? You receive the booklet? Yeah, hold it up. There we go. Everybody got it? If you didn't get it, get on your way out, okay? This book was written by the founder of The Navigator. His name is Dawson Trotman. And he's just, he just summarizing what the Bible says about the mission to be the witnesses of Jesus wherever God places us. It's called Born to Reproduce. You'll be able to read it in a very, very short time. And here's the challenge. Over the next month, just read this little booklet. Not only is it going to continue to impress what we're seeing in the book of Acts, but it's going to get you ready for our August series that Pastor John's going to lead about personal disciple-making, investing what we've received from Jesus into the lives of others so that they can experience what we've experienced in Christ. Read this book and pray this prayer. God, lead me to lead one person to you. Number two, here's, here's another simple suggestion. Grab a Bible on your way out today. Grab a Gospel of John on your way out today. The, the resource table should be stacked. And I'm going to go make sure it is right after I get done preaching this sermon, just to make sure we cover that base, all right? So, so just, we're talking about the Word does the work. Go grab a copy of the Word and find a way to put it in the hands of the people that you care about. Hey, I would love for you to take a little bit of time just to read this section, and I would love to talk to you about it. It can be as simple as that. And then number three, if you're inclined, join our private Facebook group that, that we call Upside Down City. The whole purpose of it is to catalyze prayer for the people in our lives who need a relationship with Jesus and to encourage one another in this endeavor because we all need, Pastor Tanner needs encouragement. I, I, I don't wake up and dominate the mission of God. I need prayer. I need encouragement. I need you to share resources with me just as I'm seeking to share resources with you. So listen, Text me now to my cell number. No prank calls through the week, all right? If you want in on this, like, just text my number. I hope it blows up because I want to see you be able to have the, the flame fanned in your heart by what God is doing. And so, so I'm going to invite the, the music team to come forward. And I just want to ask you a couple questions as we wrap up. As you consider, there's a simple prayer, simple step, grab a Bible, simple, just a, you may not even be on Facebook. You say, but you say like, Tanner, I, I want encouragement. I'm not on Facebook. I hate Facebook, but I still want some encouragement. All right, we'll find another way. Don't sweat it. We'll find another way. But, but, but this, is the, this is the question. Listen, do you believe that God can use you to be a part of turning this city upside down? Do you believe that God can use you to be a part of turning this city upside down? And if you, if you say, I'm not sure, I would just say, if not, why not? And if not you, then who? Those are just a simple questions. Do you believe God can use you? And then, listen, do you believe God can use you this summer to begin to be a part of this work? Because it's not just the question of, if not you, then who? But it's, if not now, then when? We want to see Jesus glorified. We want our friends to know the joy that we know because 
we've chosen to follow Jesus. And so, God, we ask, we ask that you would empower us to be about the business of trusting in you, of of believing that your word is sufficient, that your word is enough, that, that your word is powerful. God, move us out to put your word in front of others' eyes so that we can see you change them like you've changed us. God, Redemption Hill wants to be a a part of changing the city. So God, would you use us? Would you use us to be one of many churches that are starting many other churches? See this city change forever. We pray in the name of Christ.